0: Mark, your children's sermons are getting so good, there'll come a day when I won't have to come up here. I'd like to add to uh, Mark's announcements, earlier announcements, that uh, uh, on the back here, we talked about the inquirer's class this afternoon, right after the service, actually. If you are interested in knowing, learning more about membership or just learning about our church, you're new here and want to know what, kind of how we operate and know a little bit about our history, what we think, uh, come join us. We have lunch over there and I promise to get you home before the Bronco game because uh, I really want to see it myself so it won't be held up. Also uh, dinner six on the back of here you can find out information at the uh, welcome table and um, that's just a way to connect with people if you're if you don't know you're new here and you want to connect and get to know others it's a, a dinner once a month with um, six people and you just rotate over the months I think as I understand it and You get to know people. It's a fun time. So go out there and sign up. Then also you can pick up one of these. This is what's going on around the church this fall. Ways to connect. Everything from small groups to activities to uh, Christian education, theological education. Let me say though that um, pay attention to the dates. The Spears and us leave tomorrow morning for Nepal, Kathmandu, where Bill and I will be teaching classes at the Bible College and Nancy and Alicia will be working with some of the female students and doing work in the children's home as well. And so um, my Hebrews class will not be there the next two Wednesdays, and uh, Bill's Sunday School class will not be there next Sunday because we'll be in Nepal. So be sure to check it out. So this is, if you want to get more connected and find out what's going on and be involved, take a look at that. I mentioned last week this book, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn, so you can see that I wasn't joking about how small it is, and it's easy to read. This is a very, very compact, little, a good little book on... Um, the whole concept of stewardship. We just started a series called "Lavish Faith," the mystery of generosity, and um, it really is a mystery because the concept of generosity goes against almost everything that we hear in our culture and our media. And so he just has done a very delightful job in this book. You, they're out on the um, welcome table. I'd encourage you to buy one and read it, and I think you'll I think you'll enjoy what you're reading. Okay, let me start with a question today. What would it take to convince you that God has blessed you financially, specifically so that you can bless others? That's the reason. It's not for your enjoyment, although that's a a blessing from the Lord. God has blessed you financially, specifically so that you can bless others. What would it take to convince you of that? Or maybe you already are convinced of that we're going to be talking about greed today and I'll confess this was one of the hardest sermons to put together the reason is is because I am walking a a fine line between two extremes that I want to guard against one of them is um, I don't want to assume or communicate that you're greedy I feel like you're very generous but I'm not the Lord so I don't want to communicate to you that I think or the leadership thinks you're greedy. I don't want that at all. But well, On the other side, I don't want to let you off the hook. Because the truth is, I know you are greedy. You know how I know that? Because of me. I'm greedy. In fact, that's what it means to live in a broken world, is to struggle with things like greed, wanting more. Uh, I had a friend who's a counselor tell me one time that in, inside of every good leader is a little bit of narcissism. And um, part of the journey is learning how to manage that. And I know that every one of us sitting here has some level of wanting more. Uh, as Paul said, how would I have known that it's wrong to covet if God had not said, don't covet? So the very act of God saying don't covet means that we covet. That's what a broken world's all about. And so I already know that that every one of you struggles with a little bit of greed. You feel very generous to me, but I don't want to let you off the hook because I want you to wrestle through these passages with me and hear what the Lord has to say. And throughout the morning, I'm going to ask you, where where is your heart? I don't know where your heart is. I have enough trouble figuring out my own, Um, but I can raise the question for you. So that's what's made it a struggle. But let me remind you where we started. Last week, we started with the two parables in Matthew 13 about the kingdom. So listen to these wonderful parables. Matthew 13, verse 44 and 45. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So imagine that you're walking through an old house or a field, and you happen to come across a priceless treasure. And you recognize for what it is, but no one else does. And you go and you sell everything because you're filled with so much excitement and joy. And you go purchase that field or that piece of artwork or that old home because of what's in it. And once you've bought it, it belongs to you. Can you sense that excitement? That's what acquiring the kingdom of heaven is like that it should be the most exciting thing that you can think of that you have acquired the kingdom of heaven. Somehow in Christianity in North America, we've managed to make it a little boring, almost duty bound. And we're working really hard at our church to turn that around. It's the most priceless treasure you could come across. And if you know the Lord Jesus, you have found the treasure. You found the treasure. You should jump up and down and celebrate. Thank you. Do that again. Praise God. Exactly. Exactly. Listen to the second parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything so that he could buy it. Sold everything so that he could buy it. Today, we're going to take a a look uh, a little bit more deeply at some of the obstacles that we face to experiencing that joy, or to acquiring and enjoying the kingdom. Greed, ignorance, confusion, busyness. There's lots of reasons why people get, they kind of get stuck in their Christian life. And that joy that you might have experienced when you first found the Lord tends to wane. And uh, what we want to do is help restore that just over time. Today we're going to look specifically at greed, and we're going to start with the sermon from Matthew 6 out of the Sermon on the Mount. The background to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already fed the large multitude and he's sitting there and he begins to talk about things that from our vantage point 2,000 years later, so here's Jesus in time talking to these people, we're 2,000 years later, we're down here listening and looking back at that and it doesn't strike us as particularly powerful a lot of times, but if you had sat there and heard these words of Jesus, you would have been flabbergasted, you would have been astounded. Jesus is saying things the world has never heard. For example, when he says, you've heard it said not to commit murder. I tell you, if you hate your brother and sister, you've already committed murder in your heart. The world had never heard that. I know of no example prior to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount where they had taken these ideas and driven them down deep inside. You know why? Because the whole context of culture was shame and honor. It was all based on behavior. No one ever thought about what happened on the inside of the person. So when Jesus makes these words, these are, says these words, these are very countercultural, shocking kinds of words. And if you'd sit there and you heard him say these for the first time, you would have been going, huh? What? You know what that means? It levels the playing field. It's easy to point to people's behaviors and say, yeah, that person is more greedy than I am, or that person is more evil than I am. But when Jesus drove it inside the heart and said, if you hate somebody, you've already committed murder. You lust after somebody, you've already committed adultery. When he did that, guess what? We are all equal. And not only are we all equal, but we're all equal at the lowest possible level. That of what we call total depravity. Okay? We are all broken beyond repair. In fact, there's not a single part of us that has escaped the impact of the fall, and so Jesus had to get this message out in order for redemption to occur, because redemption occurs in the spirit, the inside of the person. So he had to break this iron grip on culture that uh, that shame and honor had that was all focused on behavior, and we can we can measure each other against ourselves. By the way, we still struggle with, struggle with that tendency, don't we? When I talk about greed, you don't naturally want to go look in the mirror or think that way. You naturally think of somebody you know that's worse off than you are. Somebody asked me, what, what is the definition of a liberal theologian and a conservative theologian? Well, that's easy. A conservative theologian is one is to one side of me and a liberal is one to the other side of me. I'm always right in the middle, right? Who's the greedy person, the one that, that accumulates more than I accumulate? Must be okay for what I do. And what Jesus started to do with the Sermon on the Mount was very groundbreaking, he started to drive the issues back to the heart that had not been done in the world before so when you read the Sermon on the Mount just remember that you're reading something that's incredible so he says something as simple as in the Lord's prayer Matthew 6 verse 9 and 10 give us today our daily bread he didn't say give us more than our daily bread give us our daily bread It's all we need to ask for. It's all we should ask for. What that means is if God gives us more than our daily bread, we have just received the blessing. Now, I'm going to continue to argue, this is my personal perspective, that there's a difference between wealth and greed. For the Christian, wealth is a statement of how the Lord decides to to reward or honor you, specifically so that you can help others. Don't ever be ashamed of wealth. If God has blessed you to be wealthy, praise him. I pray, uh, every church needs wealthy people, and I pray that God makes you wealthy. Don't worry about that. Don't feel guilty over that. But if there's greed, now that's something to deal with. That's something to do business with. So we're going to spend the day talking about the heart, talking about the heart. And we're going to start with one of the most famous passages on um, wealth, and it's where you store your treasure, Matthew 6, 19 the very first thing he's going to say here is to store up appropriate treasure. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't do that. But rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He is not saying we should not make money. Do you hear that? In fact, he tells us to store up treasures in heaven. What on earth does that mean? Well, I learned a very big lesson. I've learned it several times over life, but as many of you know, my last job before I came here, I was vice president of advancement at Denver Seminary, and I dealt with people, large donors, and I sat with a man and his wife, who are very, very wealthy people, and uh, they, they gave very large gifts to the seminary, and I asked him, I asked them, why do you give to the seminary? And uh, and he started to weep. He said, I, I never finished ninth grade. I don't know why, but God made me to make money. Everything I touch turns to gold. Man, wouldn't you love that gift? <laughs> well, maybe you wouldn't. <laughs> he said, Everything I touch turns to gold. And he said, I make money. He said, I can never do what you do. Teach people the Bible and train pastors. I don't know how to do that. And now he's weeping while he's telling me this, and he said, Tell me about the students who received the scholarships that I fund. Tell me about them. Where was his heart? Was it in the money that he made or his business? No. Where? On the students. students. Exactly right. That's where his heart was. His heart was focused on where his money went. Okay? That's what it was. And I learned a big lesson. Where your money is, your heart follows. If you invest into the kingdom, guess what? You begin to experience this incredible joy and freedom. If you you invest into worldly possessions, uh, the opposite happens. And I learned that in a very real way. So he's not saying we shouldn't earn money. He's saying invest it appropriately. Put it in the right place so that your heart goes with it. John Stott Uh, Some of you may have heard that name. He's now with the Lord. Very good theologian. He pointed out that Jesus demands his followers be wholehearted and avoid what he calls the materialism, which tethers our hearts to the earth. Avoid that, because that's what materialism does. It ties us down, doesn't it? It tethers our hearts to the earth. I love that. So this passage calls attention to wealth and possessions and by the way, that's a very important item for all of us. Can't escape it. We're created for that. I mean, uh, think about Israel back in, in 1500 BC. In a, in a time and place where who owned all the land? Do you know? The kings of all the nations, the wealthy people. That's who owned it. And what's one of the things that God does in the law? Every single person gets a plot of land. You get something that belongs to you. And it's so important that you keep it, that if you get yourself into trouble and you have to sell it to get yourself out of trouble, at the end of 50 years, you get it back. God made us for this. He created us for it. Ownership. Those sorts of things. We talked about stewardship last week. That's what we're made for. Stewardship to take the things of God and to use them and have fun with them. When you look in the stories of the, of the New Jerusalem, it says the nations are coming and going, and they're, they're bringing their goods into the temple to show Jesus. It means we, we're making things. We're still doing it. What we're not made for is to struggle with possessions in a broken world. That's where we get into trouble, because that little thing called greed begins to creep in and say, I want more. I want more, I want more. So this passage is, it's about wealth and possessions, but it applies to the wealthiest as well as to the poor. Greed is not selective. It's not a privilege of wealth. The poor can be just as greedy, can't they? This is a statement of the heart. This is a statement about what it lives to mean in a broken world, in a world that's fallen, where you struggle with wanting more than you have. How much do I want? Just a little more than what I have. Right? And that's basically the condition of my heart. I have to guard against this all the time. Nancy and I ask the question regularly, at least once a year, how much is enough? When have we reached the point where it's enough? We actually reached that point. So we sold some stuff and sold our house and downsized and um, uh, left my job, decided to move into pastoral ministry, and here I am. <laughs> we ask that question, how much is enough? I encourage all my students when I teach at Denver Seminary to ask that question on a regular basis, and that answer is going to be different for each of you. You have to decide what greed looks like in your own life. I can't decide for you because I don't know. I know what it looks like in my own life, but I can't decide for yours. So Jesus is pointing out that the place we choose to put our treasures, that's where our heart goes, and therefore it tells us something about ourselves you look a little tiny detail in this verse, do not store up for yourselves, plural, all of you don't do this, treasures on earth, but rather all of you store up treasures in heaven. And then in verse 21, he changes it to the singular, for where each of your treasures are, that's where each of your hearts will go. Makes it very, very personal. This is a statement about Christian spirituality and maturity. As you grow in the Lord, if you fail to deal with the question of greed, it will begin to consume you. It will. It is a necessary part of the life that we live in a broken world, especially a world where we are bombarded constantly every day, every hour of every day, every moment of every hour to accumulate more. That's how the world defines success and status. That's how our world does, our culture. It's not true. It's not true. Don't get sucked into it. Whatever we treasure becomes the guiding principle for our entire life. So where, what do you treasure? That's a, a question for you to begin to explore. What do you really treasure? I felt for a long time, give me your checkbook and I can tell you what your priorities are. Give me your day timer, I can, your calendar, and I can tell you what your true priorities are. Is it really the kingdom? You have to wrestle with that, not me. Okay, the second thing he says, we're going to keep going, is that God's light produces a generous spirit. He uses a very intriguing metaphor of the eye as a lamp. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And now listen to this. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, he's kind of putting you on a, he's putting a stake in the ground and saying you can go one of two directions. You can grow spiritually and you can enjoy that light that clarifies everything, gives truth, brings freedom. Or you can go in the other direction and search after something you'll never achieve. You'll never have enough. And it's darkness, darkness. When our eyes are healthy, our whole body is filled with light. I think in the context what he's saying is when God's light is allowed to shine into our lives the result is a healthy perspective about our treasure our possessions when we allow God's light in that's why I'm asking you the question how greedy are you I already know you're a little bit greedy but how greedy what does that look like how committed are you to the kingdom I don't know the answer to that I know it from my perspective I told you I think you're very generous But God made no difference in some of your lives. Because I know you can fool me, just like I can fool you. In contrast, when God's light is not allowed to shine in our lives, the resulting darkness means we move toward greed, keeping possessions for ourselves, hoarding, accumulating, becoming materialistic. That's the natural tendency if we're not careful. And the result is a very great darkness indeed. It's enslavement. It's trapped. Being trapped, no place to go, never satisfied, never experiencing the joy that God made us for, and never experiencing the joy of using what he's given us to help others. Again, what he's made us for. So then the third thing he says is, uh, and this reflects a great and loving God, you have a choice. I just love it that he gave Adam and Eve the choice. And I love it that he gives us choice over and over and over again. The greatest way you can show dignity to another human is to give them choice. Let them decide not control their own lives. Here's what he said. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Simple truth sitting out on this plane, okay, talking to the multitude. You cannot serve God and money. And guess what? In The Roman Empire, they're dealing with the same tensions we are. Status all of that significance is measured in terms of wealth and power, just like in our culture. He said, you got to make a choice because you can't do both. It's not possible. The two masters demand opposite things. If you become enslaved to wealth and possessions, that demands a self-centered living. You want more, and there's never enough. If, on the other hand, you choose to focus on godly living and you make God your master, that demands that we serve others. See the difference? They are completely opposite. You cannot serve both. It is not possible. Okay, so let's talk about greed for just a moment. What is greed? What is it? Well, the core meaning of the word is to pursue more than one is due. That implies that there's some natural level that you shouldn't have more of. You shouldn't begin to acquire more than that. And it also implies that it's okay to want things that you need. We're made for to need certain things. That's okay. To want more than what is due. It involves an insatiable appetite for more. Just as one of the children said, wanting more and more. It involves coveting more than you have. Both Ephesians, I mean, Colossians 3, five and Ephesians 5.5 5 say that um, it's the unbelievers who are greedy. They will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what it says, the greedy will not. When you move back to the period prior to the New Testament time, what we call the class- classical Greek era, it carried the primary idea of excessive desire for anything. So a ruler, a person in authority that began to abuse their power or began to uh, to climb the ladder at someone else's expense, if you will, which is very common in the Roman world, and the Greek world, that was called greedy. A person that took advantage of someone sexually, that was called greed. A uh, Someone that that acquired wealth at the expense of others, that was called greed. This reveals, I think, an echo, uh, something that of, of inside of us that's wired that we intuitively know when someone shouldn't be doing what they're doing. Most of us can point to someone else who we think of as greedy. Nancy and I had the conversation last night and we said, uh, who, do you th- who do you think of as greedy? And, and uh, um, we, we had the same people on the same list. It's pretty interesting. I won't tell you who here in the church is. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, thankfully, I couldn't think. We didn't think of anybody here that we would consider greedy. But we know people, as you do too. So there's something built inside of us that recognizes there's a certain amount. That anything beyond that, the way they act toward it, not how much they have, the way they act toward it qualifies them as greedy. When you look in the Old Testament, it's used primarily in the warnings of the prophets against the uh, kings and the leaders of Judah and Israel. They were acquiring wealth at the expense of other people and people were getting poorer and they were getting wealthier because of that. And so the prophets are filled with this language of stop benefiting at the expense of the poor and the marginalized care for them. Just the opposite. They didn't do that. So when you get to Psalm 119, the famous very long psalm that all talks about God's word and how great his word is, in Psalm one nineteen thirty six 36 and 37, you have the prayer of the righteous. Lord, help me not be greedy. Is that a great prayer? Should we, we should be praying that every day, right? Lord, help me not be greedy. Now, I mentioned that it's, there's something inside of us that we can naturally look around us and have a sense Of whether people are using their wealth the right way or not, Um, so in a way that's appropriate. The bigger question is what does it look like to look in the mirror? Are you using your wealth the right way? Are there others who would call you greedy? When people look at you, do they say, Well, that's a generous person? That's a person that's giving of themselves into the lives of others. That's a person that's so excited about. This kingdom that they're pouring themselves out. Later on, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul says that your giving is a demonstration of your belief in the gospel. People should look at what you're doing and they can see. Man, that person really believes in Jesus. Look at what they're doing. So you have to look in the mirror. I can't do that for you. By the time you get to the New Testament, there's a few simple principles. One is Romans 129. The greed, greed identifies those who do not know God. They don't really know God. They don't have a relationship with him or they wouldn't be greedy because everything in us, the spirit within us is moving us in a different direction. First Corinthians 5.11, Christians are urged not to associate with greedy people, have nothing to do with them because they're going to hurt you. First Thessalonians 4.6, if you are involved in immoral sexual relationships, that's called greed. You're wanting more than you're entitled. So if that describes you, then yes, you are a greedy person. Stop. Stop. Come talk to us. We understand redemption. We know what to do with that. The core principle has the idea that the one who no longer has his goal and fulfillment in God only has one other choice. You seek fulfillment in yourself. Those are your two choices. You can't serve God and money. You can seek God or you can choose to find your own fulfillment. It's your choice. Now, I want to be careful because now I want to just say a word about the other side. Don't rationalize away... The potential for greed. This represents the potential for you to explore and look in your own hearts and learn something, because you're a faithful Christian. Um, look with me in Luke chapter 18. We're going to go to the other side of this. When Jesus had a person that did this, it's very easy to rationalize our attraction to wealth by our commitment to obedience. Okay, we're faithful. Chapter, Luke chapter 18, verse 19. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. He said, all these things I have done since I was a boy. I am faithful. So what did Jesus say? Well done. No. 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 When Jesus heard this he said to him you still lack one thing sell everything not most things sell everything you have and give it to the poor you will have then have treasure in heaven then come and follow me see the order sell everything first you want to prove it then come follow me it's powerful this man had worked very hard to be faithful but it wasn't ena- enough Jesus asked the ultimate of him and revealed that he was greedy. If Jesus were to ask you to sell everything, not most things, everything, how would you respond? See, Jesus is using wealth here as the final arbiter of how faithful and how committed you are. This man said, I've done everything. Jesus said, then sell everything you have. That'll prove it. And what he discovered was, the man discovered he was greedy. He went away sad. He went away sad. That's why Jesus concludes in verse 24 that it's very, very hard for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's not impossible. Not impossible. But it is challenging. It's very challenging. Okay, one more point. 1 Timothy 6, Paul gives us some very, very good information about how to understand this wealth. 1 Timothy 6 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's where freedom and joy come. Godliness and contentment, when you bring them together, that's where you enjoy what God created you to enjoy. For we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Psalm 119. Lord, help me not be greedy. For the love of money is not money. See the difference? It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We should be content with what the Lord gives us. Or as Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, that I will be content with what he gives me. Neither wealth nor, I mean, neither poverty nor riches. But wherever the Lord places me. So, how much is enough? I can't answer that question for you. I can only answer it for me. But I will say that if you can look in the mirror and answer the question, that will give you an indication of your own spirituality. Don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into the trap. So where do we go from here? I would encourage you, this is important to move on in the study of stewardship and generosity, to deal with this, to ask yourself the question daily for a while, am I greedy? Ask the Lord that question. Ask your spouse that question. Do you think I'm a greedy person? Just ask the Lord. And then ask the Lord, help me not to be greedy. Help my priorities to be in the right place. I mentioned to you that I think of you as a very generous people. I think most of you are. I might be wrong about some of you, but I wouldn't know. You know. You know. I'm going to ask the elders, I mean the ushers, to come forward to take our offering. When you decide, if you decide, the Lord puts it on your heart to put something in the offering basket today, then... uh, Think about the joy of finding that great pearl of great price and just say, I'm going to do this with joy. If you can't do it with joy, hold on to it until you can. Let me pray. Father, thank you for addressing a very core issue within us, one that you made us for. You made us, Lord, to own things and have things and control possessions and all those things. Lord, you made us for that. But in a broken world, Lord, that can turn so nasty and so dark. And great is the darkness indeed. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a people. I would like to say thank you for these people's generosity. They strike me as very generous. Lord, if you know that some of them need work on greed, then Lord, I just pray that you would help them with that. Thank you for blessing us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.